0: As you find your seats, will you please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Uh, Today, uh, as I preach a sermon called, I, God, you'll find an insert in your bulletin. It'll have for you on the back of that insert the scripture passage I'll be reading. It should be on the screen behind me as well. But we also gave you the parallel text. This is a story that the Holy Scriptures give to us. Not only in Luke, but also in Matthew and Mark. Don't have to look at it now. Just know that it's there. I'll be referring to it uh, throughout the morning. Something you can take home with you. Uh, Just marvel at God's love for us. So clearly seen in His Son. I just got word a few minutes ago that our our beloved uh, Pastor Emeritus went to the hospital today. Chuck Green uh, with a high fever. Uh, If you know Chuck well, you know that uh, he struggles a lot with health. You won't know it. Uh, From the external Chuck, that he gives us a smile every time he sees us. Um, But pray for him as he continues to battle some medical issues. I'm so very, very thankful for that man, for his godliness, for his impact on my life, and starting this family that God used. And what a great joy it is to have him in our midst. Okay, confession time. It's okay. You're among friends. Chief of Sinner Jeff is here. How many of you are American Idol fans? American Idol fans. Some of your hands went up pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, I'm proud of that one. That's good. Uh, Barbara May's hand went up awfully quickly. Kind of surprising, Barbara. Uh, Interesting. Um, You know, my family loves American Idol. Uh, I can tell you, I haven't gotten into this season very much, and I'm probably studying my Bible or or reading or doing something, do some pastoral calls while it's on. But it seems like this, this last week, They were all excited. I guess we're down to the last three now. Is that correct? Some of you know that. Some of you can tell me who the three are. Some of you can tell me who got voted off, and that scares me a bit, but that's okay. But I thought, I went up to my study. They think that I'm up there, you know, spending Jesus' time. I thought, I want to see what this hubbub's all about. So, not that I haven't seen American Idol before, but I did flip on the TV and watch a little bit of American Idol. You know, one of the amazing things to me is, is it showed each idol uh, before they were about to sing, and they were going to tell a little bit about the song they were going to sing. They were going to tell you why they sang it and why it meant something to them, and you know, sometimes through tears what this song meant. But I don't know if you noticed this or not, but I did. Every single idol that they showed, they were shown with an iPod. Some had an iPhone, uh, but all of them had an iPod or iPhone listening to, I guess, the song that they were going to sing, and clever for um, you know, Apple, uh, clever for them to get that there. And also, iTunes online, you can immediately download their songs. As a matter of fact, in my own household, uh, right after uh, dinner, right before Idol, um, one of my children said, hey, I want to play for you one of the songs. that was last week. It was awesome. And they were able to immediately download uh, or play one of the American Idol songs. A matter of fact, you can even see it on video. All right, how many of you all own one of these? Um, an iPod, if you don't own one yet, you're not quite cool. Uh, where have you been? Come on, let's go. Um, there's been several generations of these now. They seem to be getting smaller and more and more gigabytes. But has music not radically changed in our lifetimes? Now, for those of us who are north of 40 uh, or above, I mean, how many of y'all remember eight-track tapes? Anybody? I remember eight-tracks, okay? Uh, kind of embarrassing, but I remember. Uh, then we went to albums. Y'all remember albums? How many of you still have albums and you don't know what to do with them? They, they really do well in our attic here in Florida, don't they? Try to play those again. But back in our day, uh, you, when you bought an album, you basically bought the entire album. There may have been one song you wanted. Uh, you may have been stuck with about seven or eight Losers. Um, but you wanted to get that one. It's amazing to think how music has changed. I now have over 2,000 songs, all singing about Jesus, I'm sure, um, on this little iPod. You know, an iPod will tell you a lot about a person. I love catching you with your iPod because I'm going to grab it from you. And I'm going to look to see what you have on your iPod. First thing I look, podcast, am I there? <laughs> no, no not, by the way, you can actually even get our sermons now on iTunes, absolutely free. Um, thank you, Mom and, and my mother-in-law, for downloading them. Um, the rest of you can do it. I was with a member uh, this Friday. I was in his vehicle, and I grabbed his, uh, similar looking to mine. He had both country and western uh, on his. It scared me. But I want to know, I mean, what, what, what are your likes? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing what we're able to do now? Matter of fact, I uh, was recently in a plane with another pastor. We exchanged iPods because I have one movie on here that my kids loaded up and he had all of the offices, the TV show the offices. So there I am flying. I mean TVs are amazing, aren't they? We either got really, really big ones or really, really small ones. What happened to a normal size TV? You either got this size or they're jamungus. Nothing in between. We live in a society that we want to pick our own idols. We want to vote. We want to be able to vote and say, those are the ones that I believe in. Those are those that I deem as an idol. Those are the ones that I will say get my vote. You see, it's amazing. We live in a day of an iPod where we choose our own music. We choose our own heroes. We choose our own leaders. Uh, We even want to be choosing at times. Listen. Listen. I think we live in a time where we want to choose even God. In a way that we treat God maybe a little bit more like we treat our iPod. You know, the great thing about an iPod is I don't have to buy things I don't want. I mean, I could buy exactly what I want. I could delete exactly what I don't want to have. It's amazing because I can put together these playlists that are just for me. I have a study playlist. I have a worship playlist. I got a rock and roll playlist and some other playlists I'm not going to tell you about, all right? But I got them. I can control it. It's all right here. It fits our society. It fits a me first society. It fits a society that says, make the experience fit me. Make life fit me. Let me download what I want and discard what I don't. The question I want to ask you this morning is this. Do we do that with God? Do we want to have an iGod, god as well as an iPod? You see, this morning's text tells us of a man well before the ever invention of an iPod who wanted an iGod. god He was a good man. He was moral. I mean, this man we're going to look at had every single thing that any man would love to have. He was a ruler. He had authority. He had power. He was young. He had youth. Time was on his side. And he had wealth. He had morality. He had it all. And yet he's going to come to Jesus and he's going to treat Jesus more like an I-God than a true God. More like an I-God that he wanted to manipulate and he wanted to download and he wanted to fix. And less like one that he wanted to bow a knee To Jesus. This rich young ruler basically came to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, good teacher, tell me what I must download to receive eternal life. I got everything else. I'm just missing one little thing. Tell me what I need to download. What's not on my playlist so that I can have eternal life? And I tell you, as I look clearly into this story, it's a bit painful. Because I see myself there. And there's so much about this moral, rich, young ruler that hit home. It's my hope and prayer that God would speak to you as he has spoken to me. Hey, what we're going to do is this. Again, there's this insert in your bulletin if that's helpful. But let me, let me give you a little bit more uh, uh, background. We're going to jump right in. This morning's sermon called I, God, is going to be the portal the door in which we're going to go through that will start my summer series. And I'm going to be preaching on the deadly sins of Orangewood. And again, don't squirm because know that God's got to deal with me long before He deals with you. Okay? So I've been praying, I've been wrestling, saying, God, what is in our life that you want to purge out of us? And I really believe that this message today about desiring to have an I, God, is is the entry to what we're going to look at as Orangewood's deadly sins. You can pray for me. I don't know if I'm going to do seven or ten. Okay? Right now I'm at seven, wrestling with ten. So say, all right, Lord, just back them off a little bit. Seven's plenty. Uh, Also, some good news is um, they are available to you, so I know your summer schedules might be traveling. You'll be able to uh, pick up what you need. So turn with me to Luke chapter 18. We're going to read God's Word. It's a familiar story, uh, looking at verses 18 through 30. Again, you'll have that in your insert on the screen. Take it home with you. You'll also have the parallel uh, synoptic gospels text. Let's be mindful that we're going to read God's Word this is a great part of worship, public reading of God's word. It's holy, it's inerrant, it will never lead us astray. And to show proper respect to God's word, would you please stand with me as I read and you uh, listen along? A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, and Mark says he loved him, saying this to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad. It's not a very strong word there. It's, 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 it's In the English, it's, it's, his face fell. He was in anguish. Because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with human beings is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brother or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. You may be seated. Would you please please pray with me? Father, here we are again. I sit before your people, completely inadequate, to be able to communicate the depths of your word, to illumine minds to its understanding. But Father, you do something mysterious every week, and something glorious, is that you choose to use broken vessels to communicate pure truth. So, Father, that's what we ask happens again this morning. That, God, you'd quiet our hearts. That you'd open up our ears to hear, not my words. I don't have words of life. But you do. That, Father, through the preaching of your word, that your spirit would illumine our minds so that we could understand what this means. It's, it's a bit difficult. It seems like you're teaching morality it, it seems like you had somebody who wanted to know about eternal life and, and they went away not getting it. This was a moral good person who didn't get it. So we must, we must, we, we beseech thee, understand what this means. So Father, illumine our minds and, and God, empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of of the gospel. And and God, I pray that you take our hearts, our hearts of unbelief and our hearts of callousness, of sin, and that God, we would be willing to give it all up so that we can receive freely from you a heart of understanding and of faith. Father, I pray the things that are wrong or that are merely my opinion, that they'd quickly be forgotten and fall away. I pray that the things that are true the things that contain the good news of Jesus Christ, that you would use those things to make us more like your Son, who's a lot more than just a good teacher, who's Savior, who's Son of the living God. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Well, again, I think that uh, what we see in this incredible passage is a rich young ruler... Uh, You may not have heard the word young, but if you look in Matthew's text there listed for you, you'll find young, uh, certainly rich with possessions. And at the beginning of this story, it seems to be a great story. I mean, here's a respected ruler. Here's one that will run to Jesus. As a matter of fact, the other gospel accounts will say, not only does he run to Jesus, but he will humble himself to the point of getting on his knees before Jesus. How many rulers have you seen lately humble themselves? How many of those with power and authority and prestige and a name would be willing to run anywhere to somebody else? And yet here's the picture of what you have with this man. He knew something was missing with his life. We would look at his resume. We would look into his retirement account. We would look at his business card. We would look into his life, and you and I would probably judge this man as one who has it all. And yet he's lacking. What does your resume look like? What, what was your life compared to this? Are you still lacking? There's such good news for us here. You see, the problem with the rich young ruler was that what he wanted was... An I God. This is what we're going to be looking through. And again, you got the outline. The problem with having an I God. And let me ask the question that we'll end with: Is your God an I God? We'll see what that means. Well, wanting the problem with having an I God is this: We want the I, wanting I to have control over life's playlist. Interestingly, he runs to Jesus, calls him good teacher, and what does he say in verse 18? He says, what must I do, underline that, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man wanted complete control over his life's playlist. He wanted control over those things that would bring him life and eternal life. It makes it even more clear in the other synoptic Gospels that say, what good works must I do to inherit eternal life? He wanted control over his destiny. You know, he came to Jesus and he called him a teacher. He didn't call him Lord. He didn't call him Savior. He came to one named Jesus... Looking for some information. Not transformation. Not surrender. Oh, he's not coming to a king. He's not coming to lay his life before the Lord. He's coming pretty complete. His life, his resume, is pretty full. He's got it together. And so he comes to this teacher asking one thing. He just says, What must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, the greatest thing he missed was this, is the I is in the wrong place for the playlist. It's not what you and I do. It's the grace of God. Do you know that? When we talk about life and life abundantly, there's such good news this morning. It's not about what you and I do. It's about what God does for us. What God initiates for us in his love. And the love and the work of his son. It's not about I do. It's about God's grace. 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 God's grace. This man had it all together and it kept him blind to what he really truly needed. He wanted control over life's playlist. He was not going to surrender that control. What does Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tell us? It says this. For it is by grace... Undeserved mercy. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith and even the gift of faith. God is the one. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you didn't muster that up on your own. It's impossible with man. We're going to see that in a few minutes. Our salvation, our life and life abundantly, our eternal life, all of it, a relationship with God is initiated by God. It's God's grace. It is by God's grace that we are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. You see, the I, God, what must I do is wrong. He had the wrong, he was asking the wrong question. He wasn't ready to surrender his playlist. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no man would boast. You see, the problem with having an eye God is this. You put the eye in the front and you believe that there's something that you and I will do to manipulate a playlist, to manipulate a life that would have God reward us with life abundantly. That would have God reward us for eternal life. How is it with you this morning? Are you in a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ? Are you coming to Him saying, God, I want you to just... Be one part of my life. I'm going to download this. I'm going to edit what I don't want. I'm going to play what I do want. I'm going to discard what I don't. What must I do? Are you coming to a king in surrender? You see, the whole deal with Christianity is this it's not what you and I do, it's the grace of God. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that would save a wretch like me. I once was blind. Now I see. You see, when we realize this I, God, it's not I, what I must do. It's grace alone. Grace alone brings us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's faith alone. It's not works. It's coming into this relationship that is initiated by God, by his grace, that he's going to give us a faith. The works of God is to believe, John 6 says, To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is not a works-based religion. He completely missed it. It's the only relationship with God that is based solely on grace. It's grace alone. It's faith alone. It's Christ alone. According to God's scripture alone. For the glory of God alone. That's it. That's Christianity. It's such good news today. It's not what you and I must do to work to earn God's love. It's unmerited love given to us, clearly through the work of His Son. It's grace. It's mercy. And it's abundant in the face of Jesus. Rejoice. It's for the most lost sinner. But oftentimes, it's the most righteous sinner that doesn't get it. Okay. Wanting an eye God, what's the problem? Well, you want to have... I control life's playlist. Here's the second problem. Wanting I to have control over what is good. Very interestingly, here is a man who's going to run and humble himself before Jesus. He's going to kneel before him. He's going to ask him a seemingly phenomenal question about eternal life. You think Jesus would want to steer him that way. You would think this man right here, man, if Jesus got this guy in, he's got power, he's got money, he's got influence. And Jesus... Really seems to be a pretty poor evangelist here. He starts confusing the deal. All right, any of you all sales people here? When somebody's that close to buying, what do you do? You close, you close, you close. You don't start asking questions that will get them off subject. You close the deal, Jesus. But no, Jesus is going to do something different. He's brilliant. He's going to drive to the heart of things. And he's going to say this, why do you call me good? Because he came to him and said, good teacher. And Jesus seems to really ask a bizarre question back. Why? why do you, hey? Let's just figure this out. Why do, you, why do you call me good? What was he doing? Why muddy the waters? Why? I mean, certainly we know that Jesus wasn't asking the question because he wasn't good. He wasn't asking the question, well, you obviously don't know me. Why would you call me good? There's two schools of thought here. and There's one that I've had for years and years and years. I think it's true here but I think there's a second one that's even better. And here they are. I believe he's asking him, why do you call me good? Because he's trying to figure out, he's asking the man, do you know who you are talking to? You call me good rabbi, a list of many rabbis, a term that you could give a lot of rabbis. But do you know I'm the only one who is truly God? Because he says this, why do you call me good? There's only one who's good, and that's God alone. And here's an incredible pregnant pause. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, to say to this guy, do you know that you're talking to the Lord Almighty? Do you know that this is the Word made flesh? Do you know that I've created you in all things? Do you know that there's only one good, and that's God, and you are in conversation with God? Certainly part of asking, why do you call me good? Do you really know who you're dealing with here? But there's a better, and well, I should say better, but there, there was an aha for me here this week. Keller helped me with this one. Those of you who are Tim Keller fans. He's saying, Do you know why do you call me good? Because let's talk about your definition of good. You know, what this man's clearly going to see, that one of the biggest problems this man has is he's got riches. He's got two kinds of riches, he's got money. And he thinks he has morality. You see, he thinks he's good. He thinks that he has earned God's love. He thinks he's earned eternal life. And you know what? Jesus doesn't argue with him that he is not a good man. He doesn't say, well, whatever. But this man really does believe he is good. So Jesus, by saying to him, very interestingly, why do you call me good? He's really thumping him in the chest saying, let's talk about your definition of good. Whose scale are you using? Rich young ruler, are you looking at the Gentiles and uh, basing your decisions that way? My brothers and sisters, let's talk about us. Do we look at our neighbors and say, I'm pretty good, man. I mean, I'm sober most nights. I'm not cheating on my family. I'm paying taxes. I mean, compared to, compared to, compared to, I'm good. And Jesus was saying, the problem with an I, God, is this. You want to have control over what is good. Who tells us what is good? God and God alone through his word. Because listen to verse 21. The problem with having an I, God, is the belief that I is good enough. Listen, he believed that I was good enough. Look again at verse 21. He says this, Jesus points to the Ten Commandments. And he, and he doesn't deal with the, 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 the one side of the tablet. With, he really basically deals with our relationship with God. And he doesn't have them all in order. and He doesn't list all of them. He basically points him to the law. The things that you and I should be doing. Why? You know what he's doing? You know what Jesus is doing? He's holding a mirror up before this man. And he's holding up the law of all the things that we should do. And listen, when we get it and we look into God's law and his word, we should be running to a Savior because we don't match up. But this, this, this rich young ruler, he looked into God's law. Jesus says, you know, you know the things that you're supposed to do. And you know what he says? You know the arrogance of this man? You know what he says? I've done them all. Matter of fact, I've been Johnny Good little boy my whole life. My whole life I've done all the right things. This is a kid that we used to beat up at the playground because he always broke the curve. He never got in trouble. This is that kid. And sadly, he thinks that he deserves God's love. He thought the I was good enough. He thought that God owed him. I, God, God, respond to me. I'm moral. I kept the law. I didn't defraud anybody to get my money. I didn't lie, cheat, and embezzle. I haven't beaten my wife. I'm a good man. I haven't missed any of these. What does scripture tell us? Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. We can't miss this. This man had moral riches that got in the way of his salvation. This man had moral riches that got in the way of his salvation. I'll never forget one of my best friends coming to Christ. I remember... He was, he was a lot like this man, a very, very good moral man, a very, very good guy. And one day we were out on a porch of a friend's together and I said, you know, it's guys like you that really don't get the gospel. He's like, what? Because you don't think you need Jesus. You think somehow you can earn it and somehow you have. You have. And God's grace came into his life and he he realized that he was building his hope on morality. He was building a life that his life was a little bit better than yours. And that somehow his moral riches got in the way of salvation. What should this man have said? Listen, this man should have said, all these I have broken since I was a boy. All of these I've fallen short of perfection. I've fallen short of God's glory. I don't love my wife the way I should. I don't give the way I should. I, compared to a perfect holy God, I am a sinner. You see, who did Jesus seek to save? This is so beautiful here. We can't miss this. Lean into this. Jesus came to seek and to save the who? The lost, right? He came to seek and to save the lost. Does this man think he's lost? No way. I mean, there's no way. So what does Jesus beautifully do? He wants to say this man in love, you are lost. You are blind. Your riches have blinded you from the truth of the gospel. Your moral riches and your earthly riches. You don't see it. You call me rabbi, good rabbi. You don't call me savior because only sinners call me savior. You call me teacher. What do you call God? You see, we got to come to him not saying, what more, one more thing must I download to have eternal life? We come to him saying, I'm defiled, I'm broken, I'm a mess. I came into this world sinful. My whole life has proven that I'm nothing but a sinner in your sight. You're a holy God. Have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. And there's good news. He's a merciful God. Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. This guy didn't get it because he didn't think he was a sinner. He didn't think he needed Jesus except for one more little piece of teaching that might make his life worthwhile. You see, the problem with having an I God is our identity and I will always leave us something lacking. Verse 22, he says, You still lack one thing. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're a rich, young ruler. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how much power you have, how much authority, how much. It doesn't matter. It'll, listen, listen. It'll never, ever, ever, ever fulfill you. Ever. God has not created a soul so small, C.S. Lewis once said, that is so small that the whole world could fill it. You could have the whole world by your tail, by the tail, and you'll still realize I'm still lacking, I'm still missing something. Hasn't your life proven that to you? It has to me. Hasn't it proven it to you that's so fleeting? It has to me. Luke 9 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters? What good is it to gain the whole world and to lose your very soul? What good is it? You see, the problem with I, God, is we'll always have one thing lacking. And then, secondly, the necessity of having God in front of I. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. You see, the reality of the scriptures is this. And the reality, listen, we've got to understand this. and I'll try to make this as clear as I can. God is not in a partnership with us that we put I before God. Jesus Christ came to save sinners for us to radically kneel and surrender everything to Him. It's basically taking the iPods of our life and say, erase it all and program in whatever you want because my playlist is messed up. Don't just come and add to my playlist, Jesus. You're my playlist. You're my. I'll give it all. Please reprogram me, make me new. All I got on here is junk. You see, Scripture says that we can't serve both God and money. Matthew 6, 24. That we got to put God in front, to the front so much so that it radically changes the eye into a new creation. Then he says this, then come and follow me. What Jesus is saying this to this rich young ruler, the eye needs to go behind me. Come and follow me. It said the man, listen, this is really important. It said the man was sad because he had a lot. His face fell. The word sad here is deeply in anguish. And let me tell you where else it's used. It's very, very interesting. It's very telling. The word sad here, which is really in deep anguish, was the same word to describe how Jesus felt in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember sweating blood? Remember, Lord, remove this cup from me? Remember the anguish that Jesus was in right before the cross? He uses the same word that this man had about his riches. Why? Why was this man in anguish? Why was he in anguish what Jesus said? Why in the world was there such trouble in his soul that he wanted to sweat blood? Because money... And his morality was his God. It was his identity. It was his worth. It was his security. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew he was going to lose his father. And he knew that he was going to be separated even for a moment from his father's love and security and identity and name. That God was going to turn his back on him. Jesus was in agony because that meant everything to him. His father was everything. I've come to do my father's work. The father and I are one. I do nothing apart from the Father. That's my identity. It's my security. It's my life. It's my joy. Don't separate me from the Father. And what does this man say? Don't separate me from my riches. They're my identity. They're my Father. They're my joy. They're my security. How sad. He walked away from the one who gives life and life abundantly in anguish because he could not relinquish that which had given him identity and security and worth. How is it with you and me? Look at how radical this gospel really is. You looked at him and loved him. Why? Because I believe that Jesus is the ultimate rich young ruler. That's who Jesus is. Jesus was the ultimate one with power. He was the ultimate one with riches. He was the ultimate one in authority. And listen, Jesus never asked us to do anything he wouldn't do himself. The rich young ruler already gave it all up. He already sold all of his possessions and gave to the poor like you and me. He gave it all up so that we could be rich. And Jesus says, come and follow me because I've left the Father and I've sold the riches so I can become poor, so I can make you rich. That's the gospel. That's the ultimate rich young ruler and what he has done for us. I got two other points and I'm not going to have time to unpack them. Let's just briefly mention them. Under the necessity of having God in front of I, we got to realize it's the impossible mission that I cannot perform. I love what the disciples said. They said this. I mean, they're dumbfounded. Here comes a moral Ruler, on his knees in front of Jesus, asking about salvation, walking away in anguish. And so the disciples ask the right question, Uh uh-oh, who in the world then can be saved? How hard is it? I mean, it's just really hard. You know what God says? It's impossible. I love it. It's impossible. You may not be a rich young ruler, but you and I have the same plight. It's impossible for you and me to be saved apart from God's grace. Only with God is that possible. That we need to become a new creation. That we need to become born again. The impossible mission that I cannot perform is only performed in Jesus. John 3, 3-5. through And then lastly, the abundance of God before I. I love what it says. I mean, I had to include this part of the verse in verse 30 because Peter says, and I love Peter, <laughs> Peter probably didn't like, I don't know, I shouldn't say that. Maybe he was a little jealous of a rich young ruler. as a fisherman, I don't know. But he wants to point out, say, hey, Jesus, you know, we left it all for you. A little love over here. And I love what Jesus says. He says, listen, for all of you who have said, I'm going to do away with an eye, God, and I'm going to surrender to a king. For all of you who say, I want to hold nothing in my hands. I, I, I'm not holding anything back. I give it all to you. All to you I owe and all to you I give. I'm going to do it. Listen, what he says, I love this. I love this. He says, there's an abundance, not just in the future, but now, in this age, in the age to come. i got such good news for you. This following Jesus is not just a life insurance package that's going to get you into the next age. It's for abundant life today. Jesus says, I've come to give life and life abundantly now. Surrender your eye, God. Surrender it. Come to me and say, just erase it all. Don't you dare try to make God a part of your playlist. He initiates our playlist. He tells us what we need to be and who we need to be. We come and we don't negotiate. We surrender. I think we need to repent. Because the truth is, I live my life most of the times trying to manipulate him. And put him into my i list on my playlist god may you come with power erase the broken and fill with your spirit i love you journey with me will you let him erase the junk and fill it with him let's acknowledge that we want to eye god but the greatest one we have is jesus and let him give us life and life abundantly let us pray father we ask that now you would truly take our lives And let them be consecrated to Thee. That, Father, You would forgive us, forgive me. Because truthfully, there's so much of myself and this rich young ruler just wanting to call You teacher, didn't want to have You as Lord and God, wanted to have that one thing that You was missing, not surrendering everything else. And Father, I pray for any here today, any here today that are looking for that one thing apart from surrendering all, that today by your grace and mercy, the impossible would take place, the miracle of new life in Christ. And that each one of us would surrender afresh our, our eye guides of life and say, erase it all. And come program and fill us with your spirit and the work of your son. We pray all this in Christ's powerful name. Amen. A standing saying, sing, take my life.